I'm Christopher Hooten. I'm David Rapson. And this is Coffee and Flowers. Like sort of a, a mini episode, a special bonus. Yeah. An, an espresso and flowers, I don't know. A, a short measure. Yeah, so this is the first time we've spoken to you guys since season one went out into the world, which has been a really fun experience. Thank you to everyone for listening to that for start with. Thanks, everyone. <laughs> it's been wicked. No, seriously, thank you. Yeah, it's nice to be able to bring everyone together who has so many thoughts and feelings about about this band. There's a really nice community of people who've responded to it, so thanks, everyone. Really, really nice. Yeah. People have been asking me since it came out, like, why why the National? Why, is it, why, why are people into this thing? And I was the only way I can think to describe it is that when someone says to you that I like the national, it's kind of a you kind of have this moment like, oh, okay, they this person all has also has these inescapable thoughts in their mind. It kind of puts you on a level playing field. If you wanted to bring like a plus one to my house and you said like they're a big national head, I'd be like, totally fine with me. You. Okay, yeah, they're all right. <laughs> yeah, so you know we're in between seasons. We're we're definitely a few of you have been asking, are we going to do a second season? Which we definitely we definitely want to and definitely have plans to. Um, but. With the band releasing this new project, we felt like it would be weird to not cover it in some way, shape or form. There was the opportunity to um, talk to Scott and Bryce when they were over in London recently. So um, we thought we'd kind of tie that up with uh, some of our own kind of thoughts as we've been listening to the album in the past month. And also chat to Evo, who's one of the vocalists who's kind of showcased on the album. So first and foremost, what is I Am Easy To Find, as, as the band would put it? In their own words, there's a description here for the uninitiated. On the 3rd of September 2017, director Mike Mills emailed Matt Berninger to introduce himself and in very short order, the most ambitious project of the Nationals nearly 20-year career was born and plans for a hard-earned vacation died. The Los Angeles-based filmmaker was coming off his third feature, 20th Century Women, and was interested in working with the band on something. A video, maybe... Berninger was already a fan of Mills' films and not only agreed to collaborate, he essentially handed over the keys to the band's creative process. The result is I Am Easy to Find, a 24-minute film by Mills starring Alicia Vikander, and I Am Easy to Find, a 68-minute album by The National. The former is not the video for the latter. The latter is not the soundtrack to the former. The two projects are, as Mills calls them, playfully hostile siblings that love to steal from each other. They share music and words and DNA and impulses and a vision about what it means to be a human in 2019, but they don't necessarily need one another. The movie was composed like a piece of music, and the music was assembled like a film by a film director. The frontman and natural focal point was deliberately and dramatically sidestaged in favour of a variety of female voices, nearly all of whom have long been in the group's orbit. It is unlike anything either artist has ever attempted and also totally in line with how they've created for much of their careers. As the album's opening track, You Had Your Soul With You, unfurls, it's so far so national. A digitally manipulated guitar line, skittering drums, Berninger's familiar baritone, mounting tension. Then around the 2.15 mark, the true nature of I Am Easy To Find announces itself. The racket subsides, strings swell, and the voice of longtime David Bowie bandmate Gail Ann Dorsey booms out, not as background vocals, not as a hook, but to take over the song. Elsewhere, it's Irish singer-songwriter Lisa Hannigan, or Sharon Van Etten, or Mina Tyndall, or Kate Stables of This Is The Kit, or varying combinations of them. The Brooklyn Youth Choir, whom Bryce Desnett had worked with before. There are choral arrangements and strings on nearly every track, largely put together by Bryce in Paris, not a negation of the band's dramatic tendencies, but a redistribution of them. Quote here from Berninger. 
Yes, there are a lot of women singing on this, but it wasn't because, oh, let's have more women's voices. It was more, let's have more of a fabric of people's identities. It would have been better to have had other male singers, but my ego wouldn't let it happen. So for, for two guys in the business of analysing things, a project with loads of new voices and a film element is, is pretty rich. Mm. We're not obviously going to dive into it in the way we would an album you know, in our usual seasons, but um, we wanted to talk about it a little bit today. I guess we were both quite surprised when we learned the band were doing this. Like when we were first rec- when we were recording season one, you know, we thought the band were just kind of in between projects, having finished touring Sleep Well Beast barely a year ago, and then learning that they're working on this multimedia project and kind of feverishly trying to finish it. It's crazy to think now that during Homecoming, this was all going on. Mm. You know, the busiest band in the world just carries on going. You know? Yeah. Um, yeah, I think we were both very surprised to learn that um, and excited. But yeah, like uh, there was this, we didn't know exactly what it was when we first heard it. We didn't know that there was this Mike Mills aspect. I just thought it was just mm. a new national album coming out of the works. But so what is it now? About probably about four weeks that we've had the album at least and we've been yeah. sitting with it. And I guess let's speak about that first because, you know, we didn't see the film until a little later. We had a few weeks with the album yeah. originally. The first thing that people would notice about the album is, and I'm quoting that, um, that quote again from Burning Up, which is there's a uh, a fabric of people's identities. I think the first thing that people will notice listening to this album is the introduction of female vocals in a more present way. You know, we have had, uh, even on, on Boxer, there were aspects of female vocals involved. And uh, of course, Corinne as a writer is, is still present, a writer and editor. But female vocalists are very present in I'm Easy to Find. It's a, it's a new way to approach national songs when they've typically been very uh, burning eccentric. And um, honestly, I, it was a bit of a shock to me. I'm, I'm yeah, a bit of a. Me too. I'm a, I, I'm, I think Matt's voice is my favourite voice in music. I love listening to it. I'm, I'm obsessed with it. And I love, I love those. There's rich tones, so like when you when you put on a new album and you're in your headphones, you're so excited for it, and there is a female voice. There was a part of me that was a little bit disappointed, like this is uh, this is not exactly what I was expecting. Um, yeah, it takes getting used to, I guess, because over the course of all the national albums, you almost come to feel like Matt's voice is like sort of an interior monologue. So suddenly, mm. these obviously they've you know they've been working with vocalists for ages, but they've always been kind of subtly in the background, whereas here they're very much in the fore. Um, I think it. Yeah, it definitely increases the scope of this project. You know, um, across Boxer, we sort of pinpointed these topics that come up time and time again. You know, two or three that are particularly strong about particular modes of life. Mm. Whereas there's definitely a feeling listening time easy to find of, of totality of yes. like let's let's look at this entire experience. And I think I had this sort of suspicion that it was an album about life, and then the film, which we'll come to speak about, really confirmed that. Yeah, and if anything, that's that's where I've ended up in in terms of my. Um, I said that I began with a, with a sort of um, literally on the first list, listen. There was a, a bit of a shock for me and a bit of a, a disappointment to not have one hundred percent burning of vocals all the time. <laughs> and I, I don't think I'll be alone in that because I think a lot of people, as you said, they do have Matt's voice as that sort of inner monologue. So it's a very personal thing to sort of mess with. But where I've come to now. And I do my position now, which which is like a, a one of real love for this album already. And that's only like a month in. And I do genuinely love this record. I think it's a, an amazing extension of the band. How I've got there is because of this new headspace I'm in, which isn't just an exploration of 
my inner monologue and the way that I identify with the character in Squalor Victoria and the reason I love Green Gloves for its intimate thoughts of friendship from my point of view that I think about me and my friends <laughs> is the totality of it in I Am Easy to Find. This sprawling, transcend, like transcendent, I don't know what word I'm trying to say. Transcendent? I don't know, one of those yeah. nice words. <laughs> this really like spacey, um, beyond, bigger than me, um, bigger than time. Like there's a lot of, there's, there's some narrative explored across I'm Easy to Find, both in the album and in the film, about sort of like the cyclical nature of life and getting old and these, these progressive um, uh, themes. So... Where I where I am now, I'm much more comfortable with the album, and I've sort of got my got my feet under the table, and I'm now feeling way more positive about it. I've I've learned to let go of the like selfish clinging to a, a voice that fits inside my head as it has mm. before, and now I, the, the, there's a there's a it's a more rich like collection of voices and a broader topic. I think. Yeah, I think it, it like in, encourages you to be a bit less solipsistic and to think about all the other other points of view. Yeah, I think. You know, with a with the range of very you know different sounding voices. You know, we've got Lisa mm. Hannigan sounds very different from Mina Tindall or Gayland Dorsey or Eve Owen. It, I think, you know, a lot a lot of national songs on the surface are about love or or, or, or longing. And then I, I think with this album, having the new voices in when they talk about missing someone, it kind of takes it from whereas before you just assume it's about a relationship dynamic. And I think definitely this ties into the film as well. You think about new aspects of missing someone, like towards the end of your life, missing someone who's died or in the middle of your life, missing who your child was when they were running around on the rug, you know, or, whereas now they're older and grown up. And it just makes you kind of, it broadens it out a little bit, which is interesting. I think I actually find, I actually think it's quite a catchy album, you know. Mm. I think certainly some of the songs, like uh, the, the first sort of half, the first run, I got into those tracks very quickly. Where, and I, and where is her head yeah. is really catchy. Yeah, I love that sort of intro to Where is her head. Yeah, but I, I think for me, like the, the that early run of like Quiet Light, Roman Holiday, Oblivion's mm. Pull of You is mm. is great. I always think you know I, I was a terrible music critic because I can't make snap judgments at all. I don't know how some people do it. You know, where they just like can listen to an album once, twice, or three times and be like. This is good. This I is bad. I can't do that. <laughs> and I, you know, I felt the same way with Sleep Well Beast when, when it mm. first came out. I remember not feeling too attached to it. Same. I was so attached to High Violet when it came out and so attached to Trouble Will Find Me. And then I felt a little bit distant from Sleep Well Beast and it took me a while. Um, and, I, and I think that on first listen with this one, I, on, on this album, I, I, I clung to Not In Kansas because like I felt it was like a monologue of Matt and that's what I'm used to. And now, yeah, the songs that I go back to regularly on this album is "I Am Easy to Find," "The Pull of You," "Where Is Her Head." These, these, these more eclectic, um, multi-layered songs. So, yeah, on first listen, I was definitely uh, I, I didn't understand "I Am Easy to Find," and I think I think that's one thing to note is that like, um, I think as I say, I think a few national fans will need to like persevere beyond that first listen in order to sort of like really know what you're what you're dealing with here. This isn't uh, an album that's similar to Boxer. And if 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 that's exclusively what you're into, then it's gonna it's gonna be a bit of an uphill struggle to get get there. Mm. You need to be more open minded about what the national thematically really explores. But then also like yeah, I was gonna say at the same time, I don't think it's a huge departure sound wise. Like so so sound wise, I think that it's just like a really beautiful extension of like how it's, it's like it's like the band flourishing. There's these lovely like swells and the strings are like are like really really beautiful, really really beautiful strings, and. Some of the some of the drumming and the electronic drumming as well 
is a step on from where we were from Sleep Well Beast. It feels like an extension. I can I, I don't know if this is traceable or not, but I also feel like I know the guys hang out with Justin Vernon. I feel like there's a bit more of that sort of like um, Bonnie Vare sort of like, especially the second Bonnie Vare album, that sort of like energy of like taut drumming and like beautiful natural soundscapes. There's a lot going on there. Yeah, I think Justin Vernon played some kind of, as he would, some kind of bizarre synth on one of the songs. That <laughs> Wouldn't it be, I've seen him like on Instagram at Long Pond, like jamming out in the corner or something. So. Some kind of esoteric synth, yeah. Um, <laughs> he probably made it himself. Yeah. <laughs> I think maybe maybe it's the similarity with the artwork that's kind of implanted this in my head. But if it was a, a little bit, if I had to pe- peg it to one album, I say it's similar to Trouble Will Find Me, maybe yeah. in tone. Well, from Sleep Well Beast, I think there's an extension and a connection from Sleep Well Beast because I think some of those there are almost callbacks in the instrumentation, aren't there? Where it feels yeah. like echoes of previous songs in a way. I think I think the pull of you probably most closely feels like a, a Sleep Well Beast, and I think that was at least partly written by Corinne as well. And yeah. Um, so important to remember that some of the songs from I'm Easy to Find are more closely related to the actual video in the film itself. Yeah. So there are there are six or seven songs that feature in the film and then some songs are extensions of that and, and, and beyond there. So some of them feel more connected, I suppose, in, in my opinion, to, to like in the film, whereas some of them feel like, I think I think The Pull of You is one that specifically feels close to Sleep Well Beast. Yeah, I think the the pull of you for me is is up there with the all time national bangers. Like, yeah. I mean, it would be ridiculous if we sat here and said that we loved every single national song. What would be the? It would make our analysis seem pointless. And I think for me, that the pull of you is like the strongest song. I probably would have released it first. I don't have a I don't have a huge affinity for you had your soul with you. If I'm honest, um, there's a couple of other songs on there. I, Hairpin turns. I've don't I haven't got hugely into. But yeah, at the same time, I reserve the right to say that I'm talking absolute bullshit now because in three weeks time I might be like it's my favourite song we tend to be how it, how it goes we, we, we know that caveat is valid that like <laughs> when you're still in the in the first like month six weeks of an album some of these opinions might be trash but yeah and, and I think to if anyone's um, listening to this in, in, in anticipation of being about to listen to the album like caveat like there are technically uh, 16 tracks but like one or two are non-vocal soundscapes where you're getting atmosphere. Palette cleanser kind of vibe, yeah. which is something they haven't really played with before. Like, like yeah, so that's of, something, you know, yeah. one, one minute kind of ambient things, but I guess because of the film element, it made sense. Yeah, yeah that might might be where, really, because it says, as I read that sort of opening monologue, like Mike Mills sort of like directed this album mm. and would have said, you know, that this piece needs a bit of space there. And there's an anecdote floating around that the you know I am not in Kansas was originally was it nine minutes or twelve minutes or you know Matt basically wanted this long stream of consciousness, um, spoken word almost sort of like um, verbal verbalization of how he was feeling, and then Mike said he loved it but he needed it to cut down to six minutes. I think that's why you've got a few of these sort of like moments of of taking a breather on the album underwater, um, dust swells and strange light is an interesting song because it literally it comes from a moment in the film and it's referencing a point in the mm. film but then it brings in that sort of like choir and that sort of orchestra sort of aspect which sounds really like swirling and be- yeah. literally in the, in the title that track swirling. Is, is like the motif of the film isn't it really? yeah and so the the adjective that I always come back to on that song and that sort of part of the, of the um, film is very ethereal there's this like great un, like unknown beauty in, in life like woven into the fabric of the dust particles and every blade of grass and that really comes across in the film, like that sort of like the, the textures of life that you can get really tactile with. And yeah. I think there's a bit where Alicia Vikander's 
exploring the world around her and realizing like how it all feels. Yeah. Um, perhaps now would be you know now we're sort of getting into what Alicia Vikander does in the film. We should preface Talk about the like film. Well, well, what what is it and like how does Alicia Vikander relate to the ages? That's something we should explain, I suppose. Yeah. So I mean. It's, yeah, it's, it's it's fascinating the kind of cross pollination with the project. Like, it's a big step to just you know, as they said, give the keys to someone and be mm. like, "Come, you play around in this project. We'll play around in this one." Um, I mean, obviously, I'm easy to find coming out so soon after Sleep Well Beast made me sort of partly be kind of like, "Wow, that's fast. Have you got enough material for this?" But if anyone can do it, it's the National because they're pretty damn consistent in terms of like not putting out duds. Mm-hmm. But I, I must say that like when I heard that there was going to be a film accompaniment, part of me was like, oh, really? Because I think it has like a checkered history, doesn't it? This this kind of this modern sort of trend of, of teaming like visuals with audio. Sure. Um, as you know, I'm a huge fan of Frank Ocean's Endless. And uh-huh. as, as much as I respect the shit out of him for learning how to build a staircase, <laughs> that whole visual aspect to the album doesn't really bear repeat watches, does it? Whereas like Blonde as an individual album gets way more love it gets and appreciation. so much love. It gets seen as the thing and Endless gets seen as this strange side project, which right. I, people will disagree with this, but I think it's as good as Blonde. I absolutely love Endless. Still can't agree with you on that. But That's I, fine. <laughs> but yeah, but there's no way of, you know, they didn't put it out separately. You can't access just the audio on its own and that seems a shame. And I think that's something that when we um, when we saw the band at Royal Festival in London, the day, I think Aaron mentioned they were like, we don't, we don't want this just the musical side to be this random art piece or, or an EP, you know, let's do it as an album, right. but an album you can also appreciate in a different it, way. It is still the next album after Sleep Well Beast. It's it's not like a soundtrack to a film. It's not an OST. Yeah. This is the next national album, but it just has this really interesting organic process with a film director, which for fans of like of film is, is very, and fans of film and the national is very exciting. Yeah. And seeing how they like approached it with a director. I want to be sort, sort of... Qu- conscious of spoilers like this isn't fucking game of thrones but at the same time i want people to be able to when they get to see the film however they do i'm not sure exactly beyond the shows how it's going to go out there yet um to not give away the whole sort of thrust of the film but would it be too broad to say it's about life <laughs> that's about as broad as yeah i think that's i think that's fair it's, too, it's uh it's a it's a really beautiful film it's really beautifully shot it stars Alicia Vikander and she is a central character who goes on a journey through this, is it about 24 minutes? Mm-hmm. And I don't think it's a spoiler to say that she plays different ages yeah. through this through this film. And she's an amazing actress in that regard. At the, like, and, I, and I love that rather than having a, a young actress play the young years and an older actress play these years. It's great, that, yeah. Oh, her... Taking like, on that body language. Oh my goodness! Like in- incredible performance in that regard. Like really cool, really, really beautiful, and that also speaks to like kind of I think what the what the film is really about about that sort of connectivity. God, there's a line coming to my head now from Sleep Well Beast. Um, there, it's from Empire Line. There's a line from my child. There's a line that goes all the way from my childhood to, to you. Yeah. yeah, beautiful line from Empire Line. But think about that in the context of Alicia Vikander. Now there's this like constance of although she plays all these different ages, it's exactly the same person playing a toddler, a 60-year-old. And I guess this is where the interplay of those two sort of like sibling projects starts to come into it, isn't it? Because the themes that come through in the film that are then referenced in the music are about the sort of the repetition of emotions. There's yeah. there's a line that comes up again, I think in both 
the film and the album that's um they argue about the same things yeah and i think that that's something that's sort of it's a very national thing for people to be arguing about the same things but it's it's talked about in a way that like you as a child may see your parents argue about the same things and then you live long enough to see yourself become the one who argues about the same things and maybe a, a loss of judgment when you go through the same things that your your parents go through and there's a lot of one thing i took away from the film was a lot of like uh, empathy and understanding for i suppose my parents and like the person that i'm probably going to be and like realizing that you're going to make mistakes in the future mm-hmm. and you have to forgive yourself because like they they make mistakes and you make mistakes and it's it's a it's a piece that has a lot of understanding i think is what i'm trying to say yeah i think we I guess we we don't think about our parents' lives when they were younger or how they were feeling when they were just like, you know, looking after us. Whether That's just exactly what I mean. I hadn't thought about it until now, but you're talking about that Empire line. line. Um, I think the, the the fact of her playing different ages works well because I don't know if you've had this, you had this experience, but I mean, I've definitely always felt mentally almost like the same age throughout my life, you know. Oh, the sort yeah. of eight-year-old me has just been there. You You gain a bit more wisdom. You start to relax in some aspects, feel more anxious in others, but you will feel like the same human being. I think when you're a kid, you're like, one day I'm going to be this older person who's going to have a completely different outlook on the world, set of goals and ideals, and that just never happens. <laughs> and I think that's, I think the having Alicia, you know, just across those age groups, like that plays quite nicely. Yeah, definitely. It's a bit of a tongue twister to, to talk about the empire line, line <laughs> that begins with, there's a line yeah. all the way from my childhood to you. But a lot of lines. There's a lot of lines there, but yeah, I think that I think that line does play here. I think it, I think it's relevant. I think there's that respect for the continuity and the evolution that a person has to go through in life. And I say has to, like it's, it's, it's that you know it's the human condition. No one no one chooses to be born. We're all we're all that young, and then you eventually go to whatever age you go to. And I think there's a lot of empathy and and, and sympathy for everyone. Uh, on that journey in this film yeah that there's um in, in the way that like some films have tried to do I'm, I'm thinking of like um i don't like this film at all but the the tree of life is a film that tries to sort of explore like yeah. time and i really don't like that film but i'm going to reference it because <laughs> it's um it's, it's an attempt to do the same thing. i think what it explores is is yeah that's sort of like what does it what does it mean to be a person who who changes age and how interesting is that so that's you know a spoiler free you know i suppose intro to what people can expect yeah. if they if they haven't yet seen the film it makes a lot of sense mike mills working them i think you know in the same way that we saw how you know uh a lot of the, the stuff on boxer and the national originates with grace paley who is another great observer of the small moments in life mm. mike is another one of those people and if um if anyone's seen 20th century women it's kind of this chronicle of a boy growing up but told through these little insect seemingly insignificant moments that are actually the real stuff and that's what comes across yeah in i'm easy to find as well it's just like yes there are definite landmarks in the character's life but it's the little things like you know just a feeling a certain way how it has changed about someone or exactly like, you know first yes. time, yeah and that, that's mike mills is a bit of an architect of those isn't he yeah have you seen sure. beginners as well no beginners is lovely um there's there's it's, it's exactly that rever- reverie for the sort of um, importance of those moments in Beginners as well. Um, I won't go into it too much because it's a bit of a tangent, but there's, there is one moment I love, which is... Uh, so it's, it's Ewan McGregor's in the film. His father comes out very late in life as homosexual and they develop a, a new relationship and a new way of being father and son. 
And there's this lovely scene where his father, who is now out, uh, literally out, out partying, calls him to let him know that he had a really good time at the, the place with the loud music tonight. Um, what's the... And he says to him, there was music tonight. It, it went... And he says, what is that? And Ewan McGregor says, I think that's house music. And he goes, his dad gets a pen and writes down, house music. And there's this lovely like friendship blossoming, literally when he writes down like the recommendation of that's probably called house music, dad. It's such a small moment, but that moment from the film really stuck with me as like, yeah, I think Mike Mills can appreciate these small moments in life that sort of have these like bigger reverberations and really lovely, um, the meaning sort of like is shown there in all its glory. Yeah. It's lovely. I don't know um, what order one is supposed to consume these two projects. And I think that probably there isn't a prescriptive one and you just go between them as you like. I think I'm glad that I listened to the album first because one, if mm. I've one a slight criticism of the film is that I felt that with a lot going on, you know, a lot going on on screen and then there's a lot of subtitles in the film and then you have Matt coming in singing lyrics over the top. There's a lot, it's quite like you're quite bombarded with information. Um, I think you are right. I think it helps if you, as we did, if you knew that know the songs a little first because they're already kind of in the mind, in the body. But yeah, um, I you, think you, no, I think you're right. One, yeah, one does feed into the other though. But I think it's not you know it's not a case of like oh when you watch the film then that's the that's the key in the lock that cracks it you know mm. now it all makes sense and I'm glad that's not the case because that would be a bit lame. No, <laughs> it's they complement, but they're not like one's not like the explainer on the other, is it? Yeah, no, it's totally that. There's um. I remember when uh, Tranquility Base came out, Alex Turner said that he didn't want the album to need to come with instructions because it was a big departure from where Arctic Monkeys were. Yeah. And like, no, no artist wants to sort of be so prescriptive that like, okay, you have to sit down and watch the movie and then 24 minutes in, you can finally turn the album on. Like, it doesn't, it, it's it's way more blurred than that. I, I like the description of like their, their sibling projects and I think you could sort of like, you could dip into the album, you could yeah. watch the film, whatever. I do agree with you that it was a little bit of a, an overload trying to read, like, because another thing to let people know about the film is there are these lovely sort of, um, how would you describe the, they're not really subtitles, they're like captions of scenes that sort of explain Alicia Vikander's character, what she's doing. So it would say like, she, oh, there's one, a really good one is, um, she learns to lie to her mother. And that's like a really, again, like a Mike Mills, like observation of what's actually going on here. She's sitting there talking to her mother, but it says, she learns to lie to her mother or she she kisses a boy or she later in life she has a new job there are these like life uh it's almost like if if a life was put on a timeline there are these little like markers of like things that happen um, yeah. checkpoints and then they're recurring as well like that that yeah. great one that's like a feeling big small oh, scared that's, that's really good that comes up throughout her life you know that's that's, that's yeah. nice and for anyone who didn't uh, make it to the very special live shows, they are sort of like put up in block lettering as the band perform, which is really cool. You know, you get these yeah. sort of like statements. Yeah. But um, sorry, we tangentially moved on. There, 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 there are moments in the film that I think you're right. It is slightly flawed in, in, the, in the editing of like, you're trying to hear this, you know, beautiful song that, you know, Matt is crooning over in these beautiful female vocals. You're paying attention to a film and you're reading what's going on there. I agree that like it, it, it can be a bit like, okay, mm. I don't know what to focus on here. And having listened to the album first, you and I probably experienced a bit more of like, um, I already, I've already heard the song, I Am Easy to Find, so I can be a bit more relaxed, not listening to that and focus on what's going on here. So 
that's that's a fair thing. It's, in, it's interesting as well, like, and we I think you know we speak to uh, Bryce and Scott about this, but that you know they didn't just literally lay the songs at the top. It's mm. full of like different takes and mm. elements stripped out and kind of fucked around with. It's kind of a yeah more of a yeah diff- different beast really. Yeah, you can get that as well. So the the vinyl that's coming out has the album. And on the B side, it has like the actual film soundtrack version, which is really cool I as well. Didn't know that. No, because the music is is in the film is maybe a bit more raw, a bit more like, mm. um, yeah. I think that's I think that's what I would say is they're more raw because the album is more like of an, of an album. It's an, it's an it's a national album, whereas like uh, yeah, the soundtrack has more like more the, painterly, isn't it? There's just little bits and strokes here and there. The strokes, yeah, literally like the album cover. There are mm. these nice like strokes of like sound that sort of like cut through a scene really nicely. So that's probably enough on the film. Uh, anything like from the album that stands out to you to like say about this as a as a continuation of like Sleep Well Beast? Like we um, we haven't on Coffee and Flowers and like gone through Sleep Well Beast, but I do feel like as the next album in the queue, I think that there are commonalities and, and themes that are shared and like extensions of Sleep Well Beast. But yeah, a- there are definitely lyrics that have stood out to me where you can almost draw a through line from earlier albums. Mm. And- we should do that at some point. I mean, you know, we we, we don't know what order we're going to go through albums yet. We're definitely not going to go chronological. We're going mm-hmm. to be more kind of picky than that. But um, hopefully we will get around to this one at some point because what more of an interesting, intricate thing to, to pick apart. And, you know, and, and, yeah. the, and the way certain songs are used in certain parts of the film, I think, makes you really reinterpret them. You might read it as, oh, this is about that. And you realise it's actually, no, this is about a fucking baby. Mm. <laughs> this is what they're thinking. And mm. they're like interacting with the world for the first time. And it's not about someone in their like 20s or 30s doing that. Right. And I, I don't I don't know if, I'm going to have to watch the film again to clarify this, but I definitely, when we watched the film at the London show, I, for the first time, sort of like felt like Rylan was a character in the film. I thought that he was the son in the film. Interesting. Um, there's because there is a son in the film, and he leaves home, and that is one of the sort of like moments on the timeline that happens, and it's a very, um, you know, it's a very noteworthy moment in one's life. If you live to an age where you're lucky enough to have children, and then those children leave home, that's a very monumental experience. And around that time, there's the so- Ryland comes in, and there's the line, um, "Ryland, did you break your mother's heart?" And I was suddenly looking at this like son leaving home and feeling like I knew who Ryland was. I was like, wow. And, and you know, I think we got into this a little bit when we were talking to um, Scott and Bryce that, uh, yeah, I, I feel like Rylan is this track that's floated around for a long time and people have, like, fans have wanted it to come out and they've heard it live and they're, you know, when are we going to hear Rylan on record? I feel like it really makes sense now and particularly in that film space where I, again, I, I don't have concrete feelings about this yet, so I'll watch it again. But it felt at that time like Rylan was the sun in, in I Am Easy to Find, which, nice. is, which isn't really nice. All right, well, let's let's hear from Scott and Bryce. Although, just before that, give me, like, as of this moment, as we've said, liable to change your, like, <laughs> four favourite songs on the album right now. Um, I Am Easy to Find, The Pull of You, Roman Holiday, and Hey Rosie. Interesting. I would, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm in sync with the first two. I think I Am Easy to Find, The Pull of You. I've got a lot of love for So Far, So Fast. Mm. Um, Lisa Hannigan on that track is just insane oh Lisa Hannigan's voice in this album is incredible <laughs> yeah and pushed for a fourth I guess I've got love a lot of love for Quiet Light Quiet Light's beautiful yeah that, I think that was one that I got to really quickly as well mm. and you know honourable mention I, I really like where do you stand on um, I Am Not In Kansas I think it's a really interesting national song yeah I 
doesn't work for me. Does it, not. On paper, it should be a song I love. It, it feels a bit like the song Sleep Well Beast, you know, these kind of meandering ruminations and mm. kind of monologue. But um, I but, love it. It reads like a diary entry to me. And I love um, like that, yeah. I, get, I think that where that sort of fits into the, the themes of, um, of uh, I'm Easy to Find, we know that. Matt has a really good relationship with his parents and he's sort of like hanging out with, um, if, if anyone follows him out on Instagram, you can see he's hanging out with parents. It's really cool. But there's that line about sort of like... Shout out Paul and Nancy. Yeah, great guys. We love you guys. Um, <laughs> must go back and see them. Um, yeah, there's this bit about um, move back home with mum and dad. Like um, they're not there. The, the pool is drained and they're not there. Um, and I really, really love this line. Um, it's half your fault, so half forgive me. Mm. And there's that, isn't that exactly what I was talking about a minute ago about that sort of like the relationship between parents and child and that understanding and it's half your fault and half forgive me. And there's a nice, like, um, I don't know. I just, I just think more broadly that having gone into such a lot of detail in boxer as we did into adult relationships in a, in a romantically and even friendships and that kind of thing. I am easy to find feels like it really explores family and the the generations. So I'll, I'll give fifth place honourable mention to I'm not in Kansas. All right. Well, let's hear from uh, Bryce and Scott on their, their thoughts on the new album. And one word on the audio in this interview. This is this is backstage at the Royal Festival Hall, like about an hour before the band went on stage. It was uh, not a rock and roll dressing room. It was a, ca- a cascade of three sinks, uh, a Steinway piano and a trouser press. <laughs> a strange green room, um, but it was incredibly echoey. So <laughs> we mitigated it as much as we can, but just uh, bear with up. us. Yeah. Hey, Scott. Hey, it's good to see you again. Hello, Bryce. Hi, how are you? Hello, I haven't spoken to you before. It's, but, uh, it's a real pleasure. Not for the podcast, yeah, yeah. I don't think so. No, how are you? Good, how are you? Yeah, you're doing well, yeah. doing well. Thanks for making a podcast, you guys. Yeah, no, no thanks. Well, well you guys have been so well. like... Yeah. You know, I know we haven't chance to speak to you guys in it yet, but like everyone's been so gracious with helping and making it happen. So it's been. Oh, cool. Yeah, I think like we were quite surprised when we heard you guys were working on something so soon because we were thinking about how you know, like between between Boxer and Violet and Jungle Find Me, there was like a good like two or three years, and it was like if anything, getting a bit longer. And then suddenly, like you did Sleep Will Be at the end of twenty seventeen, and then just a little over a year later, you're releasing another album. Yeah. Um, I think the last time was wasn't. Alligator was 05 and Boxer was 07. Uh-huh. Yeah. That was yeah. the last time it was that close. Because you were planning on having a rest, right? And then that's, that just didn't... Just now? Yeah. yeah. Well, after SWB, uh, so, so, so apparently there was like a planned like, uh, break for like a bit of time for the brand to take a breather. Yeah. And then this Mike Mills thing came in, maybe sidetracked that plan a little bit. It was okay, though. I mean, we had been playing some of the songs on tour, and there were other things that we were unfinished that we wanted to finish, and so that's there was true. enough there. To, and then I think... <clears throat> yeah, with the film, then the film kind of pushed it along, and we were reacting to that. And so there's a lot of collab and back and forth um, as far as sort of inspiring new music and new like ways of kind of finishing the songs. Yeah, so it's quite a natural process then. Yeah, it was very, um, it was very much Mike Mills' energy and sort of positive momentum, and then this idea of a film that gave us something to kind of like be excited about mm-hmm. where they, typically after a long tour like that we're pretty exhausted mm-hmm. um, and also I think probably lyrically usually Matt needs more time to sort of forget everything yeah <laughs> but this time because there was like actually a, this very clear concept um, that was like a world apart from his own he felt he felt excited about it 
kind of, I mean, not risky, but it was like ambitious to do like something different. But I know, I know you work in film scoring as well, so I guess you're really into film, but to go in the direction of doing a film as well was like completely new for guys. But you were all, once Mike came on board and Matt was speaking to him, you guys were just like, yeah, let's do it, I guess. Yeah, and I think we're all huge fans of Mike, and we're big fans of film, and and I and there's always been a kind of interesting relationship between film and music, obviously, and um, and I think also the presence of narrative in our songs has always been actually less present, where this record has a bit more of it, and also Matt just even recently has been writing about things more outside of his own, like in an interesting way, he's been able to kind of turn a different corner in his lyric writing mm-hmm. which this record would be the best example of um, but yeah I mean the, the allowing the filmmaking to influence like film is really where great massive collaborations are happening especially around people like Mike Mills mm-hmm. or certain filmmakers um, or like in my experience like working with Inner E2 or something it's like for Inner E2 the sound and the music is the film actually like probably almost the most important part of a film for him like he really composes it all every little detail down to like the mosquito in the corner to the sound of the French horn to the <laughs> yeah. whatever well, especially in the Revenant New York today, it's so like balletic and all kind of it's told through motions the music's a huge part of it yeah but like doing that you realize that actually these things can be like the, they, the different um, ways of making things can influence each other and I think in the case of the National we're always looking for like new energy new directions new like amongst ourselves like just finding new places the music can go and so this idea this film helped kind of open a new window yeah how was yeah it feels like you guys are in really rich form I think that like creatively you know expanding into film in in the way that you know the national film is not a new thing necessarily and like songs have been used in films well previously like I really like um, you know that last scene in Warrior that was that was that was was really cool and so I, I think there's a bit of a history there but like in um in the Sleep Well Beast era, and like Scott's and the graphic design really came to the fore. I personally think that the, the graphic design since like the alligator days to where we are now, we've got this really cool style around the national, like vi- visibly it's becoming more of a, a visual thing. Mm-hmm. And then this step into I Am Easy to Find, it becomes more and more iterations of this like, what, what creativity can this band bring? This isn't a question per se, this is more of a statement, like it just feels like you're really all like, really flexing your muscles creatively and going like, we can do this, we can, so it feels like, you seem like strong as a creative band and a creative suit. And does that resonate with you guys or am I just complimenting you overly? I mean, that's super nice. <laughs> um, yeah, I think we've consciously tried to like sort of like push things in the direction of the things we sort of like and mm-hmm. want to explore. And I think, yeah, like visual stuff. I mean, with Mike too, like Mike actually did all the graphic design for this record oh, cool. with us. We kind of like said, cool, that's awesome. But like, yeah, but he was like sort of, I think, there's some tribute to like stuff that we've already done but there's also like a new sure. spin on the whole thing and so like I think all of that and, and also like the recording process with him Bryce was saying before but it's like just he he will say he's not a musician but he is I mean he's a director and he knows how to like you know create change and flow and story and all that thing all those things that you need for interest <laughs> over time <laughs> so I think that was like the best thing for us. Awesome. Just his ability to kind of be a good editor or just like suggest things that were off the wall for us. Like normally we would do A, but he would suggest C. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And we're like, oh, cool. Yeah. Coming so soon off like off the last album, was the music mostly the things already in place and ideas you had for a while, or did you sit down and kind of really start writing again for it? Or was it a little bit of both? It was some of both, yeah. But um, 
I would say mostly, if there were things lying around, they were vastly reimagined. Um, there was very little that was kind of intact from earlier sessions. And in fact, there were a whole bunch of other ideas that we were actually, that were the other ideas that we were thinking of developing that didn't get developed, um, yeah. that are still hanging around, that at this point maybe they're a little getting a little old. But, <laughs> but there was some like a batch of songs from the Sleep All Beast sessions that never developed. That was sort of, that was what we were thinking of going back to. Yeah. Um, and then this kind of, we picked up some of the ones, um, some of the other ones that that actually, you know, that Mike felt really resonated with the film. And then, and then he made choices in the early sketches of what he was, like, because we give him stems, so he would... What's interesting does is, like, the, the score of the film has elements of, like, seven of the songs. Is that right? Six or seven? Yeah, it's like six or seven yeah. songs. And it's sort of stretched across. It's sort of arrangements. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're, all, like, they're quite apart. different, yeah. They are different, yeah. yeah. And, it's, um, just a, it's a continuous kind of 20... Two or twenty-four minute, like yeah. you get these like vocal takes that aren't as perfect, just coming in like, almost like unmixed into yeah, the yeah. thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, and but that informed the way we then wrote the other songs and also developed the album. And so it's sort of like a interesting, uh, like a you know, he, like, for instance, the use of strings mm -hmm. is, is very foreground on this album, and that was largely because he um, featured and there was like a string arrangement from Quiet Light, which was a was something that we had done during the Sleepwell Beast sessions and that moment Mike really features in the movie and mm -hmm. that's so that informed the rest of the strings writing for the whole album because mm -hmm. um, he was really using that as like a, a main character in the film yeah. yeah we were talking about like the idea of having these songs like lying around that you, so like Ryland is, you guys have been playing live for like quite a while it must yeah. be is it hard in a way to not start sort of to start thinking down of those songs because it seems like they haven't had a logical place to fit but you still have to kind of keep the belief in them and then you're like actually you yeah. worked great here don't they? yeah I think I mean Ryland is like 10 years old or something yeah <laughs> we played <laughs> like, like the unloved song that's like always yeah well, we, we just never I don't know we, and we didn't play it consistently either we were just sort of like we'd play it and we'd not play it for a while and kind of hung around and I think we liked the songs <laughs> we're like you know and Mike really again was like he was really in love with it and like like used it a lot in the movie and so then that started to change how we thought about like how do we break this song apart and make it like interesting because it's a very you know sort of like this part this phrase is kind of square in, in a lot of ways but then you so we started to we grabbed old versions from like uh i think from trouble will find me like a bass part or something that aaron had played mm. and then like juno parts and then added some new stuff and then kind of fuse it together to be this like frankenstein but like Frankenstein. <laughs> yeah. It feels like you really found a home for Ryland. Yeah. It makes total sense where it is now. Yeah, we didn't have I always think of Ryland as like a weird cousin of Vanderlyle or something, uh -huh. those two characters or something. Uh -huh. Um and it wasn't that we often like one of the, the early things that really work, it's the same thing that probably happened to Driver Surprise Me, I bet. Like oh, like, yeah. like where things we really like at the front of a recording session usually have a hard time. There was another one on um Trouble will find me. Remember Soglio? Remember that one? Oh yeah. It was like oh, what was it called? Soglio. Well, we named it was named after this where I wrote the music, but it was one of the oh, strongest cool. things. And like that's often a kind of death sentence to like a song if it's really in the front at yeah. the top of it's the too session. Good. It's <laughs> we know it doesn't. Yeah, it gets too boring, so we just throw it out. Yeah. yeah. Ryland suffered that fate, I'm afraid. Yeah, it just sort of hung around. And so, then, but yeah, it was meant. It, it does feel like a like a really strong part of this album now. So, yeah. we're happy to say. I like that you guys um, played around with like choirs in this album because 
it's, even though like you guys and Matt aren't necessarily like religious, there's a lot of like religious imagery in the music and a lot of talk of like God and heaven, like whatever that may be, and it just feels right to have these kind of like cathedral kind of choir aspects to it. Yeah, um, yeah. There's a lot of like themes of like afterlife and all that yeah. kind of thing on it, and Catholicism and or imagery from I think because Matt was raised Catholic, but is not Catholic. No. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah, definitely. I think all the choirs. It also adds like another like otherworldly kind of thing right. to it. That's like. I wouldn't say it's religious it's more just sort of like maybe spiritual and also just like the plural voices like having five women featured and then 40 children is what you know the Brooklyn Youth Chorus that are singing there's 40 kids ages mm-hmm. like 13 to 17 who are singing who are going to sing with us in New York next week mm-hmm. and um just having that like the lyrics and the meaning of the songs filtered through many voices and many people um, it's the first time that's happened on a national album in a significant way and it's like mostly vocalists that you guys have been working with for ages I suppose which feels quite organic and nice rather than yeah. just like parachuting in a load of new people it's people that you've been right. with for Lisa yeah, Hannigan's been around Sharon's been around guys you've worked with yeah before. we've known all of them I mean Kate Stables I've known since she was 14 um, <laughs> when she was like living still at home and I was friends with her older sisters or um, like I had met in Paris when I was a student mm-hmm. and, um, and Pauline is my wife, Mina Tindall is on Oblivion's, um, Lisa Hannigan and Sharon we've been working with for a long time. And it felt, yeah, it feels very, Eve Owen, who's going to sing tonight, and she's 19, she's, she's yeah. the youngest, yeah. well, besides the choir kids. Um, yeah, it feels like they, and then Gail and Dorsey, you know, like yeah. the, the voices were chosen because of the, like, just the beauty of their voices and, and them as people, um, and not necessarily, like, special guest appearance from X, Y, or Z person or whatever yeah. Yeah. can we ask you a little bit about like the roles you guys played in if at all in the, in the film as well like in, in the crafting of these dual narratives between I'm Easy to Find as a film and as the album um, because I'm really interested in like there, there are some really cool themes emerging in having watched the film now and it's like kind of in the same theme of having these choirs and having these many voices you have this almost like circular character development motions of like aging and experiencing the same things your parents age and there's some really cool stuff with dialogue there mm-hmm. but um, I don't know how much of that was crafted in band versus like Mike brought that in or maybe it was Mike and Matt or were you guys involved in that kind of crafting of the narrative? Yeah, like how do you do division of labour when you're making a dual <laughs> film? <now? laughs> it's an irregular way of approaching yeah. a project I yeah. guess. I would say I mean, Mike proposed a lot of lyrics. Matt obviously had a lot of lyrics with Corinne, and mm-hmm. they kind of all worked together. Mm-hmm. And through, and like the themes sort of started to emerge, and they started to write new songs that were kind of like in those themes or based on sort of characters or people that are, that are you know telling a little whatever snippet his thing that he does. Um, <laughs> but yeah, but uh, Mike was so really good at like editing them, and also like sort of picking out. Yeah, I think picking out like the you know there's like the song not in Kansas uh, was like twelve minutes long. Wow! And he was like, I love it, I love it, and he's very 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 big supporter of the song. Where others were kind of like, I don't know, how's it gonna work? And then he's like, but make it six minutes. It's still super long, <laughs> but it like and like kind of just making like finding all the good bits. I think mm-hmm. and then sort of yeah, just putting them together. Got it. Yeah, we weren't. I think. You know, we all did what we do. It was just adding another layer of someone we really respected who could, um, you know, push for things like Kansas to make the record. Like, it, it might not have yeah, otherwise I think it that type of song. 
Yeah, we were. Um, that felt like something a throwback to like sad songs or whatever, like a, right. a lot of words and this sort of like yeah. Dylan esque yeah, kind of yeah, delivery. Yeah. And we were like, whoa. <laughs> yeah. And super ambitious lyrically in a yeah. cool way. Um, it makes sense that a director would like that song because it's just these like little elements that are quite minimalist yeah. that you could you can imagine them dropping into a film. Like, yeah. Even though it's not really in the film. It's not in the no, film. No, it's yeah. one of the ones that came after the film was done or like we had already. We, we couldn't pack all the songs, yeah. all that, you know, no, no, for a 23 minute film yeah. that had 60 minutes of music in it. Um, but things like, like the, there's moments where we took lyrics of Mike's uh, actual yeah. words out of the script and mostly Aaron and I made snippets of like, where's her head is like a, you know, that's taken, those words are taken from the script mm-hmm. and that song was really kind of written in the studio. Um, with Eve singing and Aaron singing and we kind of did that as an attempt at something or like similarly when the words reappear from the script into the like Dust Swirls right. it's a choir song right. so I just wrote that um, as like a I'm the, just try this and Mike really liked it so we kind of built out around that so that's examples of like where we were trying to fuse the worlds um, and yeah I know that I know that Matt and his lyrics and the additional songs that came after and then in rewriting the older ones he was like deeply relating to the he and Corinne were really relating to the film and to the script and there's similar types of I would say that the three of them have like similar minds in a way like like watching them kind of get deep go deep on words in the script and yeah sort of like and also like organizationally there's something about it where it's like this I don't know block block chess match (laughs) yeah chess match a little bit but I think yeah, just the way that I know how he writes the lyrics. Like, he'll just, you know, write a bunch of things and highlight this and mm. tab everything and, mm. like, you know, like, be very, like, filing system about it, <laughs> in a way, eventually. And, <laughs> and Mike, obviously, is a director, and so he's very familiar with, like, that kind of process where you're, like, yeah. scene, 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 boom, great. Films operate in such a way, everything, everyone has their role, and it's such, like, a, a mechanism, whereas I guess music is more free-flowing, I don't know. yeah. Totally. But I think both require editing. So it's like, I think that, that was sort of the happy day. And also like his personality, he's Californian, born and raised. So it's like, it was very, he was very easygoing in, the, in a way, but also very like focused. And when things needed to get done, it's like, boom, <laughs> no, <laughs> which I think is a great quality, especially for us. Yeah. So it's, it's interesting to talk to you guys, because when we, when we're usually doing this in show, we're always like, in granular textual analysis mode. Yeah. But like being able to talk you outside of that a little bit. I mean, you guys are about to like, you, you, you didn't have a break. You ended up doing this really ambitious project and now you're going on a really fucking long tour. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, I know you, you want to be humble about it and it's, and it's how wonderful to be able to, you know, play around the world all the time. It must be grueling. And like, I don't know. And yeah, it's tiring. I mean, we, we're all older and we have families and yeah. our family, or, you know, our crew has families and everyone is, you know, has a lot of responsibilities at home so we don't do super long tours we do a lot of shows over the year but the longest is like three weeks and that's sort of like the absolute limit by three weeks you're really yeah, wrecked just, and also just to be that away from yeah because we I have try, a we also cram a bunch of stuff into three weeks so it's like we have whatever not every day but mm-hmm. you know four shows yeah, well, I mean, on, on that note, I mean, I watched, out of research reasons, I watched Roman Holiday the other day. Have you guys seen that film? I have not. No. It's, it's awesome. And yeah. like, I don't know if this came from Matt or Mike or Corinne or whatever, but Roman Holiday is an amazing film about a princess who just wants to, she's, she tours around Europe shaking hands and meeting all these real people. And it's a very charmed life. Yeah. 
and she just wants to stop doing that and go and see the people in the street, have a beer and sit down. Yeah. And it struck me that this Roman holiday and, and the, the line, Roman holiday every time it rains, maybe was talking about this sort of like being on tour. It might be so glamorous and seeing the world, but really when you're seeing the world, what you want to do is be in the world rather than seeing the world. So I'm not necessarily prepositioning that that came from you guys, but what's your point of view on that? Like the juxtaposition of like having this really lovely life of being able to tour around, you know, you're in Paris, then you come over to London, you go to New York. These are these are the things that you guys dream of. But you yeah. must sometimes just look in a cafe somewhere and be like, kinda of wanna be back there, <laughs> having the cob salad, yeah. having a beer and that kind of thing. So how does it feel right now? Like you must be super excited about getting on the road, but, but also there's that do you yeah, feel like a princess always, wanting to There's always a yeah, because like yes, it's really fun and great to be in a band and get to tour and mm-hmm. I'm super thankful and lucky that we get to do that. Um, on the flip side, yeah, you wish some days it was just like I just want to be home doing you know like whatever Bryce at home in Paris with his kid, right. and then, like going to the park like that. That is regular like, re- stuff. Regular stuff. Like I walked all up and down the Thames today, and it was like all these families, and I was like, oh, it's so nice. That would be like sweet to get ice cream and yeah. a drink or whatever. <sighs> anyway, so that part <laughs> smell of flowers. Yeah, yeah. Well, it was beautiful. It, it was like, nice. Yeah. So I think like just being away from your family is like the hardest, shittiest mm-hmm. part of it. Yeah, I mean, it definitely takes its toll mm-hmm. um, and certain like these kinds of shows are actually very exciting because they're like the the energy of learning the record and performing the whole thing live before it's even now it's like the band has become more brave mm-hmm. we, we never would have done this in like the High Violet era no or even The Trouble Will Find Me you know we did it on Sleep Ball Beast what's the difference like what is the difference in bravery here Why, uh, how is I mean I think brave? part of it is Matt um, is like He's just grown as a singer where he is much more confident now mm. than he would be. Like back then, um, he, it would would have been riskier. He would have been, I think now he's just, even fucking up on stage, he's not scared of it. Right. Um, and I think the pressure also at that point, we didn't feel necessarily like the audience was always with us. Even if we had an audience, it was like we were you know, every night was a struggle to kind of, you know, not that we still give it in that same way, but I think that we feel, and also like the audience clearly like, likes it when we take risks and go for it, you know, 100%. try something. Yeah. So the, um, to do this for, for me anyway, speaking personally, like I find it really exciting and interesting. Like these are the kinds of like the special show, especially with the film starting, yeah. just feels like dynamic in a way. And I know like fans probably want more songs they know, but for us, it's really just exciting to share the new ones. Yeah, I mean, like you when know? You, you know, guys will play a whole album back to back. It's fun to just switch it up and that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. There, yeah, and with the, I remember someone saying that like, why do people go to shows rather than just listen to a record and listening? Is it's fun to watch go and watch people all together on a stage trying not to fail. <laughs> that's like that's the interesting. That's, that's what right. that's the right. other thing that's interesting and, about it is like before we really know like the songs are these fragile the paint's still drying basically mm-hmm. the recording just finished so yeah. they you know when you start playing big venues and people know the songs and you start trying to like deliver to a festival audience or something they can become a little bit exaggerated at times where the, suddenly we're like laying into something in a way to kind of amp up the room when that's not necessarily so this version feels like 
it's there's still like anxiety and nerves and, and interesting stuff going on. That might have been more similar to like when we played shows in the beginning where we we're like just learning. It's like, like we literally would have rehearsed the thing. thing. <laughs> like, like remember all the wine in the early days would always go off the rails or like it's fun though. Like we were saying you know, when, we, when we went to homecoming and we ended up writing a piece about it. Like, I don't know if you guys remember the first set you did the two back to back. Yeah. And the, the box one was like pristine and beautiful. First of all there were so many fuck ups but it kind of it had this really good like fun it atmosphere. It felt like a party. Yeah. And the atmosphere in Smell Park and like it just felt fun. Yeah. And I think that like you shouldn't as a band you shouldn't be scared to like make mistakes. I think yeah. they're, they're, again, mistakes are inevitable. And if you lean into it and kind of like ride like, I think Matt said that at the beginning of that set, he was like, Alright, let's party. And it, it set the tone of Smell Park. I think that's it's kind of almost more enjoyable to see a band rather than like hoping for like absolute perfection on stage and then if there's like a slight if the violin slips it's like what the fuck do we do? Everyone's here to like get loose and like and like enjoy some really good sounds. Yeah. I think we can all like be adults about it and like lean into that. But I think that's a very you guys been doing this for twenty years and it takes a while to get to that level of like confidence and be like, All right, cool, we're here now, we can be like cool. Well, you're definitely there now, and like tonight, I think it's going to be very, very. Soon. Soon. Hopefully, you know, <laughs> it didn't just jinx us. But it also... <laughs> and you guys have got loads of other stuff going on to keep you distracted, anyway, don't you? Like you will have so many other pursuits. We always we joke that particularly you and Aaron, just like you need to slow down. And there's so many projects on us. Like I'm always reading about something about someone's doing something new, and like yeah. oh no surprise, a new <laughs> bar in Paris is just open. That's cool. We gotta go check that out. And like. We spoke last time about your, you know, you've got the graphic design going yeah. on in your store back in Cincinnati, and like, yeah. anytime someone in the band does something, I'm like never surprised. I'm like, oh, of I think we like we. The truth is, is like the touring band, especially when you slot into kind of playing the same set or something or similar sets in festivals, it gets pretty repetitive. Sure. You know, Groundhog Day or whatever. So I think, and also just musically, it's been in the DNA that we've always had, just lots of stuff kind of cooking and different um, I mean it, it, it goes occasionally it becomes too much you know especially like right now actually like when normally <laughs> the band would have the band for me recently that normally the band would have like three years off so there were some things scheduled after Sweet Ball Beats but then all of a sudden it was like whoa we're recording like four months after the last show right yeah and suddenly it was like you know so that when your projects felt, are like way in the future sometimes too like you know I write in a lot of it might be an album came out but it's like music that I've been writing for 10 years sure. you know yeah. I mean some of those pieces like if it's an orchestra piece do they take like you know eight months to write a 20 minute piece for or something so it's like and I like that sort of having the, those things to to kind of dive into especially on tour to work on something while I'm mm-hmm. you know spending the hours waiting to get on stage <laughs> we have to make it down to your bar one day we were talking about doing a Coffee and Flowers live event at some point if we do one in Paris this should be the, the venue we will there. treat you to oh, a yeah. really good beer <laughs> they do have a great hazy yeah, IPA nice. that we sample cool guys well we're still waiting on this version of Start a War played on pencils by the way oh, someone's right. got to hook yeah, us up yeah I probably have it somewhere I'm sorry about that I'll look it up I guess it was, it was your doing, I think. It was you and I. Oh, right? yeah, no, it was me. Yeah. you got to put that on a beast. That kind of stuff is usually. I'll, um, There's some I'll pencils on the, the yeah. beginning of Quiet Light. We have like all hard drives that are old and have to like consolidate. Yeah, it's kind of scary, isn't it, how the, all this history is like decrepit, like. It's the yeah. you don't know if they're going to fire up anymore. Yeah, like, yeah. Um, speaking shop. of archives, I've got one last question for you mm. guys. Um, it, this album, we said that you sort of revisited some stuff that was already in the can, and sort of like you revisited stuff that we, we dug out that's already been around for years. Um, hopefully, you didn't dig it all out. Hopefully, there's some stuff that's still floating still, around. There's a lot of stuff. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff. Yeah. There's a lot of stuff still around to be used for future. Yeah. If those hard drives work. <laughs> <laughs> Otherwise, yeah. yeah.
everything's gone. There was that that big yeah. Dropbox dump where people uncovered like some boxer B sides. Oh yeah, there's. I mean, there's definitely like that's versions, stuff, MP3s, and stuff. I don't know where all that all are, but yeah, there's I have a lot, a lot of, of them on a, on a, on a no. which I know still works. So. so we won't be surprised in a few months' time when something else pops up. Oh, look what we found! <laughs> it's like a VR sale. <laughs> So our sponsor for this little episode is Vero, who um, we work with on season one. And uh, everything we mentioned in season one, a hell of a lot of books and films and TV shows and other songs are kind of now all there in one place. Along with uh, other things me and Dave have just generally been listening to and Mm -hmm. enjoying. So do feel free to check them out and also create some kind of lists of your own. And we want to hear what is exciting you. (laughs) Yeah, and uh, a big thank you to Vero for being our continuing sponsor of this podcast. Um, this is a slightly different position now because in season one we uh, recorded a message saying like we're working with with Vero and we're very happy to be working with Vero and they're our sponsors. And but in all honesty, we, we in our relationship with Vero we were in its in its infancy, and now as a Vero user a few months down the line, I can tell you a bit more about like what I've been doing on Vero and the way in which I why I use it and how it's replaced some other social media that I used to use. In a in a world where you're always being recommended stuff and you're always sort of like people are telling you which content they're enjoying, uh, I say content somewhat like it's going to be books or you know old format content. Um, Vero is where I now sort of like keep a a watch list. So there's a cool function where you can either share a book or a film or, a, or some sort of media with someone on Vero, or you can share it with yourself. And I often do that when someone recommends me a film. I create a, uh, a little sort of list of things I want to see. And what's cool now is I have these connections on Vero of people who are sort of like-minded and people who have um, reached out from listening to the podcast. And one thing I would say is that it, it, it seems to be true that most national fans has very good have very good taste in music and, and film. So if you if you see the sort of like cultural community forming around on Vero, you're likely to stumble across some, some good recommendations. So um, so yeah, go to get.vero.co forward slash coffee and flowers and spend more time talking about books and less time shouting at small avatars over the <laughs> not that our listeners would do that no they're all too nice <laughs> you're good guys yeah. <laughs> now we're going to hear from Eve Owen who's one of the vocalists who's pushed to the fore on the new album we spoke to her recently just down the road in a bar just start with a nice little <laughs> clink to Corinne <laughs> Corinne if you're listening this is for you <laughs> um so welcome to the pod, Eve Owen. Thank you. So yeah, we um, when we started listening to the album, I think we're working our way through all the different vocalists, and and we really like, really really love where it's ahead to start with, and really like your part in it. And then we were also just fascinated by like you know there's these, you know Sharon Von Etten and Gail Ann Dorsey, and then we're like Eve Owen, how did she come to be involved with mm. this? So. And also good to have another Londoner um, in mm-hmm. the national universe so, so yeah, it would be interesting to know how you came to be came to be on this project, really. Um, so my dad met Erin at like a gig and stuff because me and my dad are massive national fans, like crazy amounts. Um, and I just recorded some songs by myself on like voice memos, and mm-hmm. I think he must have played some to Erin and and maybe liked them. And so he invited me and my family out to Hudson. Awesome. So I went a couple of times just working on my own stuff. And then when it came about that they were working on the new album, he was showed me this poem that this young girl had written. Maybe she was like 10 years old, I think. I could be making that up. 
and it was just like it really intrigued me because it was kind of in the style of Matt's writing like it was just like repetitive questions like questioning everything questioning life questioning death but but more symbolically like where is her head is she outside like where is she and and like when I was 10 like that was when I started writing because that was my first like time I got OCD which I've had ever since and something really struck me about like the simplicity but of it but like how powerful it was at the same time mm. and so we were working on like some melodies together and I was just like singing into like a dynamic mic like not like properly at all and stuff just like playing about when so back to back track how do you know where that how, how that poem came about or how it happened to be that Aaron was showing you it or I don't know I think Aaron was given to I think maybe Mike Mills knew um her or something but I, I don't know because I think the whole thing of like the film and the album they wanted to like track like a female life and get all the different voicings of growing up as a woman and stuff um and like when we were trying out some melodies like at first I was really worried because I was like it's at a part of my voice which I'm not like confident in oh, like really? yeah because it's sort of like at my like breaking point I okay. think they call it um but then I tried to like voice that in a way that I was like try and use that to my advantage and just you know it is a lot of the national songs are about struggling and it's about straining and tension and wow. being uncomfortable so I just like sort of tried to find that eeriness Amazing. in that voice um, yeah that's really cool yeah when we um, when we saw you the other night because you uh, played with the band at Royal Festival who um, I think like Matt credited you on stage as having saved where is her head <laughs> I don't know what he was talking about alright <laughs> <laughs> You must have done something. <laughs> um, I think, because you know how the first half is quite tame and the second half sort of, it's like controlled chaos is what Matt calls it. Maybe I hadn't noticed it as directly as that, but when you say that, I think, yeah, that maybe there is a turning point. It's when Matt comes in and he just starts like rambling on and mm. you're just like, it's like what you were saying about the inner monologue. Like right. he voices what so many people feel alone in thinking. Right. And it's just like, for me, like the main thing, about the national and why I listen to them is the comfort like perspective like me too it inspires me to like speak up about my problems that's and, exactly how I feel yeah and um and also stuff I'm scared to talk about and I don't really want to talk about um stuff that maybe shouldn't be talked about and it just makes me feel less alone and I think that what they're doing the national and the people around them is really creating this community like it, I've always said to my family it reminds me of like Greenwich Village in like the 60s <laughs> cool. like everyone's fitting in for each other and like they're all supporting one another like all just playing on each other's tracks it's like Big Red Machine and the whole yeah. people movement yeah. it just inspires me because like in music it can probably be really daunting to go in alone and they've sort of like Aaron's taken me under his wing which I think is so kind and um, yeah it was crazy doing that performance because I was like so out of my depth but, but at the same time so comfortable like I was just like they had no fear to do you with me singing you didn't look out of your depth at all I felt it at points yeah <laughs> but so, so does Matt like something he said this yeah. he's like uh, it's like fundamentally humiliating to be on stage it's and you an just unnatural feel, thing yeah. to be on a levitated space yeah. in front of hundreds of people yeah. you're like that's not organic mm. <laughs> but um, I think finding 
I think what I feel most comfortable in with doing on stage is like feeling my vulnerability and getting that across because if I go in thinking I'm going to try and be confident and try and just get all the words right and stuff and try and stick to the plan it never goes well like when I go in and just try and lose all my dignity and just like choke on my words and just, just feel like, it yeah. feel it and just make it different to what it was before amazing um, it always ends up surprising me and like sometimes good sometimes bad but that's the interesting part of it you know yeah, so I guess you, it must have been crazy working up at Long Pond because like mm. the, I don't know if you I mean I, I know you've done a little bit of music before but it must have been like stepping up into this crazy studio space like mm. compared to where you've recorded before. But it's something about Aaron's um, the atmosphere Aaron creates in the room. Like I know for a fact like if there are many young girls who are not heard in the same way in the industry. Like, I go into that studio and I know my voice matters and I know what my opinions are and, like, they're listened to and stuff. Like, most young girls would really struggle and work towards that in their career, you know? And him and John Lowe were just, like, so kind, so welcoming, so open and stuff. And John, he, like, mixed... Yeah, he's the sound engineer. He's just such a great guy that it was just, like... It felt, it was like how they create stuff. Like, it never feels forced. Mm. It's always this organic, natural thing where you're like, if this goes terribly, who cares? You know? Like, there was no pressure on anything. Yeah. Very much from the outside, because I, I haven't been there. I'd love to go at some point. Mm. Um, from the outside, because of course it was on the front cover of Fleetwell Beast, mm. and we've seen like a lot of photographs from Long Pond. It looks like they've created like this like perfect little haven to like go and yeah. make music. And yeah. also when we spoke to the band and when we talked to them about like Boxer and earlier in their career when they were like running out, of, you know, they'd, they'd keep recording until they ran out of money. But once you've got the luxury of your, you know, your own space, you can just like play around and like you say, if it, if it fucks up, then you're all good. Mm. <laughs> Did you get to? Um, speak to the other vocalists much or was it like the scheduling everyone was in there at different times or? I think everyone was in there at different times which I really wanted to meet them more so yeah. I was like kind of bummed about that but <laughs> just try and hang around for a few days yeah everyone's like cool like, <laughs> um, yeah but just even getting to sing with Matt along in the headphones mm. I was like this is an amazing experience mm. like, this is what I've always wanted even mm. if this goes nowhere I've reached my dream just singing into this mic was Matt's voice in it. He's really bringing the baritone in the album because, like, just coming in underneath all the ladies, mm. it's like, yeah, he's going in super low. It's, it sounds cool. I mm. can't be sure about this, but I think Matt's hit like his like <laughs> lowest vocal point. He's like in this subterranean album. by this point. I, it's yeah. like <laughs> below gravel somewhere mm. is where his voice is right now. It is, yeah. It's amazing. Mm. On Roman Holiday, there's that word movie. Yeah. <laughs> Put me in your movie. It's like super low, but. Um, and but obviously, you know, he killed lyrics, but you played around with them, did you or...? I didn't. I just worked with what the little girl had written. Cool. It was right, all the yeah. little girl. There is, I mean, I know you said you hadn't had a chance to see the film yet. There is a moment in it where there's, like, a little girl reading a poem, so... Yeah. So your process was, like, trying to make... Take that a text and make it into... Like, you were kind of tasked with building that sonically and how's this going to sound and how's it mm. going to... And, and as a national fan, you have a you have a version of like what a national song kind of sounds like as well. Mm. So I guess you're trying to marry up those two things. Like, yeah. here's a text and here's a style. How do I get that Venn diagram mm. between them? I guess it definitely wasn't like mm, like 
I definitely was just like a clog in the system. Like I was nowhere near like creating the song. Like I would just like improvise and throw out ideas and we'd record them. And then even Aaron recorded some, like what he found in the melody. And cool. then like I'd sing along to that as well. Awesome. Um, but I think like the one thing I find with like the national is that as much as I respect them like musically, I respect them more as people, you know, like politically mm. and everything. Um, the way they speak their minds, like, it's such like good mentors to have, mm. you know. Yeah. yeah. But to your point about them being like um, that sort of kind of Greenwich Village style like, mm. collection of people, you're in that group. Congratulations! I, like I you're. I wouldn't say I am. You are literally on the album. You were part of the show that we all saw in London. You are in that collective of people, so congratulations to you for doing that. And your voice is no way out of place on that album. It fits in, it wow. sounds beautiful, it's wicked. It must have been crazy, because like, we should have mentioned that like Eve's only 19, and it must have just <laughs> this, this thing happening suddenly in your life when you're like in the middle of, whatever you're in the middle of, must have mm. been kind of weird. Yeah, I kind of had to, because I was still at school. Yeah. I kind of separated those two things because if I went into school thinking I get to record with Aaron, like I wouldn't be able to do school. And if I went into recording, I'd be like, I need to do school and stuff. <laughs> like I had to separate it because I was like two different mindsets. Like I think I've always been like with my OCD, like all or nothing. Um, so if I find something I enjoy, I put everything into it and that can be good and bad. Um, but yeah, it was crazy, you know? Yeah. Like, it's not normal. And, like, you know, I have the utmost respect for education, but given that opportunity, it's like, you're going to learn more, like, just being, like, around the national doing that than you are, like, you know, sitting in a classroom, so. As you said, they're very, like... Uh, it's a reductive term to say good people, but they are good people, and, like, being around those good people in an amazing place like Long Pond, you mm. have got such an amazing experience there. It's a no-brainer. Mm. You've got to go and put your heart into that. They're so warm and welcoming, and you know you'll be supported, you know, which is such a special feeling to have. It speaks to the audience and the listenership as well, which is something that we were speaking about earlier today, about who listens to this podcast and the, the people who are passionate about the national. One thing that we've learned from putting this podcast out there is the response that we've had is so lovely. There is a really nice community of people that sort of surround the national. Mm. So I think that... I think a community of people just say, hey, we hurt too, you know? Like, it's, it's an honest it's a, a lot of wounded people, and it's nice to like, be able to, like, bump together. It's not a cool kids club of, like, <laughs> we all... Like, yeah, it's quite an honest club of people and a, and a mentality of, like... Mm. Yeah, there's quite a lot of sharing, quite a lot of honesty, and, and it's something that... Mm. What I've noticed is, like, a person either doesn't know of the national or they're, like, a die-hard national. Yeah, yeah, there's, there's no in-between. <laughs> there's no in-between. In the like, like, if you're initiated, then you're fully in. Yeah. <laughs> like, when you're a national fan, you know yeah. that they there's something special there. Mm -hmm. Like, they really appreciate it. Like, mm -hmm. the idea of going to a national gig is, like, you know, going for some people to church, you know? <laughs> like, yeah. So, what you, so now, you know, you, like, you're back, you're, work, you're still working at a cafe, but, like, what are you... You're still obviously going to be doing some music, like what you're working on. What am I working on? Um, well, this album's going to come out first, and that's going to be another crazy. Yeah. So, thing. millions of people are going to hear you on <laughs> I Need to Define, <laughs> and they're going to love it. 
And then, um, yeah, musically, what's what's next for you? Musically, I just want to keep writing. Like, I don't really... I think that creating and editing are two separate processes. Yeah. And I think with the editing part, it's the whole who am I musically-wise and stuff. Um, so I don't really like being that part of myself when in my life generally like I think of those as like one-off moments mm. um so I just I just what I love most about it is writing so I'm just writing at the moment and like coming up with new ideas and I'm really interested in drones at the moment okay like just a, like an ongoing noise uh-huh. um have you listened to Sparkle Horse I have listened to it not in years like I that was on my that. first laptop I had some Sparkle Horse mm. yeah but we me and Aaron tried out that drone idea on this song um, and there were no lyrics to it until I looked back at my Hudson notebook and I, I remember listening, I was upstairs lying in bed and I remember listening to this melody Aaron was playing and we couldn't write the song together because it was already a national song so I quietly just wrote what it inspired inside of me um, but because I lost the chords I went to Hudson I was like Aaron I have this song and I just play it in my mind like I remember it well don't remember the chords and so we just used the op1 and we just created it like an a minor drone and i can play it to you guys after yeah yeah but it was called 29 daisy um i i said remember saying to aaron like i want to make this like i want to make it almost a funeral ballad mm. um so that's probably my favorite thing i've created with aaron so yeah. far yeah it's like no no one wants to experience these like inner turmoils but like silver lining if you can find a way to, to you know to, to put that out and then turn that into art mm. and that'd be like a cathartic experience for you then that's like mm. great and that's something to like really hold on to mm. Mm. <laughs> I truly don't think I'd be able to do that if it wasn't for the national though. really yeah I first heard them when I was like 13 um I should live in salt was yeah. the first song I heard amazing um, song and that just inspired me to write more you know yeah that's amazing, Will. Yeah, thank you, Eve. Thank keep, you. Keep creating and take care of yourself. Thank you, too. <laughs> Thanks, Thanks so for having me. All right, thanks, guys, for joining us for this little mini episode. We're looking forward to getting cracking on our next album. We don't know what it's going to be yet, but... It's um, nice to talk to you guys again. Yeah, we, and we will take any suggestions you have for yeah. future albums. Message us, email us. What do you want to hear us talk about next? And uh, appreciate the listening to this might be a little bit weird if you haven't yet heard the album or seen the film um but hopefully once you have got it got it down and you've had some time to sit with it that um a lot of what we're saying might make a little bit more sense it's coming out end of may it's going to make sense it's all going to be okay you know get the album watch the film if you can um try and like have your own like work out how those two siblings sort of like sit together and like let us know what you think about it as always like we want to hear your interpretations how did you feel how did you see those two sort of projects sitting together what are your tracks that you adore what are the difficult moments you've had with it and like like me did you find initially it was a bit tricky because you were just too addicted to the sort of burning at only vocals or was it like water off a duck's back and you just completely took to it that's not a very good analogy more like a, a duck to water what does water of a duck's back mean? Water of a duck's back is means it like it doesn't affect you. <laughs> so, so like uh, if somebody insulted you, but you just you were above it, you could say it was like water of a duck's back. What I meant to say was more like uh, he took to it, like right. a fish to water. Yes, 
a rainbow on a unicorn. That's how I took to it anyway. You had a, a rainbow unicorn experience. Well, look, whatever your experience is, um, the verdict is in from Coffee and Flowers. It's a big it's a big love in from us. Like a uh, couple of couple of songs that or tracks that right right away I'm putting up there is sort of like real favourite tracks, which for a band who only sort of released Sleep Well Beast in 2017 is is quite incredible. It's an amazing film that like you know, Alicia Vikander's like incredible actress. She's incredible. Enough, She's yeah. unbelievable. Mike Mills, The National. There's there's so much to love here in I Am Easy to Find. So can't wait for everyone to gorge on it once it's out. And I hope everyone has a really lovely experience with that. Yeah, and let us know what you think. We like to delights us to hear how we're wrong <laughs> <laughs> and how wrong we are. <laughs> Always. All right, till next time.